Hello, my name is David Shire, and this is how it's going so far. And today we're going to be talking about Disney movies. That's right, I am a 90s kid, so yeah, I got exposed to a lot of Disney as a kid. And I kind of wanted to talk about specifically what I've noticed in Disney films and how it's kind of reflected in my life, how it's affected me in any grown, any uh, noticeable ways, and talk about, uh, and talk about kind of how Disney's kind of shaped me in some ways, and especially when it comes to parenting, because I really want to do kind of more of a ranking video of uh, best and worst Disney parents. Now, I think Disney has a lot of weird messages about parenthood. Apparently, you can't be a protagonist in any sort of Disney film uh, unless you have a, uh, a dead parent or maybe even two in some cases. And so ranking the list and thinking about like some of the best parents and some of the worst parents is actually a lot more difficult than you might imagine because some of them, most of them were dead. So, <laughs> so and I don't want to like bag on like dead people for their bad parenting skills because they just didn't survive. I mean, technically speaking, Tarzan was neglected as a child, uh, but that wasn't his fault. You know, <laughs> Jaguar killed his killed his parents. Wow, that's a very bleak start to the episode. I'm so sorry, but uh, but uh, that's just how it is with Disney films. You know, you start off with a bleak bleak beginning, you keep moving forward, and then next thing you know, you're like in the middle of the action and you're becoming a princess or whatever, right? <laughs> uh, I also do. Uh, I think that Disney is kind of a weird property to talk about because, in some ways, it can be controversial to talk about. Um, I was watching a lot of videos this week talking about Raya and the last uh, and the last dragon and talking and it was talking about how uh, Disney kind of appropriated culture to make those films there's a lot of good videos out there about it uh, Schaefer Ellis has a pretty uh, good video uh, describing the differences between that and Encanto and how how each one kind of delivers a different message and he has a bunch of other video recommendation links uh, that uh, I have forgotten at the moment that I didn't write down because I'm a horrible note taker uh, you'll know this if you listen to the X-Files <laughs> episode but anyway so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and break down and move forward and break down some of the worst and some of the best Disney parents uh, starting off with one of the worst I would say Anna and Elsa's mom and dad are just horrible people so if you don't remember somehow if you completely missed on out on the cultural phenomenon that was frozen back in 2014 I want to say uh, you you might have missed out on uh, on one of the worst parenting teaching moments ever uh, so what ends up happening in the first opening 20 minutes is that Elsa uh, famously hits her sister with a frozen snowball and this causes her to have a little bit of a mental breakdown and um, kind of a mental um, issue with her powers she starts becoming uh, very fearful of her, these ice powers that she's developed as a kid and it's never really explained why Elsa has ice powers at least not in this movie and really not in the second movie either but it's kind of more vague uh, but anyway so she develops this complex. Uh, they take they take uh, her sister Anna uh, over to some uh, trolls, and the trolls explain that if she if the parents don't do a good job, you know, parenting her, teaching her how to use her powers, eventually it can kind of grow out of control. And if Anna is ever hit with uh, a nice power like this, no amount of healing magic can help them. Only an act of true love. And so you get the basic setup. You think. Oh, you think, okay, well, uh, what, what advice would I give my, uh, my now scared child who's afraid of her latent terrifying abilities? Oh, I know. Let's give her the worst parenting advice of all time <laughs> and just tell her to conceal, don't feel. And I found even like watching this in theaters for the first time, I was just, I was blown away <laughs> by this horrible parenting advice. I was sitting with my friend Garrett uh, at the time. I just look over at him and I was like, well, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess that's one way to do it. And I'm like, okay, well maybe the parent, maybe there'll be this whole arc where the parents like realize their mistake and they kind of learn and progressively, uh, uh, 
uh, deal with uh, their kids' abilities. And, uh, and what ends up happening just a few scenes later is they die. They just they sink on a boat, they completely die, and they don't learn anything. <laughs> and the entire movie, I feel, is predicated on the actions of their bad parenting advice. And for the longest time, I would think that Anna and Elsa were the worst parents in in all of mo- in all of movie history because it's just such bad advice and they don't really get a lot of character outside of of their bad like catchphrase and saying and it goes even further though like in the second movie it's kind of revealed that Anna and Elsa's parents grandparents were also kind of terrible and that they started a civil war in the forest and the only way out of this is through eco-terrorism committed by Anna when she blows up that bridge uh, to try to save the forest or something like that I don't know Frozen 2 was whack, and maybe that that could that could be its whole other show and segment. But ultimately, I just feel like there's like generations and generations of bad parenting decisions by uh, in uh, the town of Arendelle, and I feel that it, it contributes to this overall lineage of like just bad parenting from Anna and Elsa. It's kind of amazing that Elsa didn't just com- become a complete recluse. Um, I mean, she was pretty much on brand to do that, and then. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Anna kind of ruined that when she came to her snow castle. But anyway, uh, it's just, it was bad parenting, and it's just something I don't like to see in films. If you're going to introduce char- uh, parent characters, I do like them to have a little bit of character, and I do like them giving solid parenting advice, which is why one of my better parents uh, would have to be Mufasa. Now, Mufasa is an interesting guy. Uh, if you remember, he's the, the father of... <laughs> it feels weird explaining Disney films, um, but he is the father of Simba. They're both lions, and he's the current king of uh, Pride Rock, and he knows one day his son is going to become king. And he, his son, being very ir- uh, irresponsible and not really understanding that uh, responsibility, sings a nice little song wishing his father uh, death. But, you know, Mufasa doesn't really care. Uh, <laughs> at least he doesn't hear the song, so... Uh, what I like about Mufasa a lot, especially in the beginning of the movie, is that he is kind of a hard ass on his son. Uh, when Simba kind of gets himself into trouble and he goes to a um, he goes to the elephant uh, graveyard against his father's wishes, like Mufasa doesn't like lit up on him. He 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 kind of verbally tells him like, "Hey, you know, you can't be making dumb decisions like this because one day." Like you're gonna have to lead lead our tribe of uh, lions uh, who rule the kingdom for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what kind of. Uh, I don't know what kind of voting system they put in place. <laughs> but uh, we're in charge, son. And one of these days, you're gonna have you're gonna have to be more responsible. And I feel like having a parent be hard on a kid while also being like understandably hard is an important character trait that I like to see in parents. Uh, it's not a situation like Ariel and her father, uh, Titan. Uh, a Triton, uh, where he's a little bit too hard on Ariel. I feel like I feel like you see Mufasa very uh, Simba make a very clear mistake, and watching Mufasa kind of correct him on that is uh, a very makes him stand out a little bit more uh, as opposed to some other Disney parents. Um, I also think that you got to give Mufasa points for dying for his son, <laughs> whereas Anna and Elsa's parents they just like went off into a boat and just sunk to the bottom of the ocean, only to be uh, shown up to traumatize their kids years later when they find their dead bodies <laughs> in the middle, uh, fro- in the frozen tundra. You know, Mufasa at least like died for his kid and saved him from a uh, from a wildebeest attack, and and even furthermore, like 
even in death, Mufasa's still giving out banger of advice, you know? He's the one, his ghost spirit thing or whatever is the thing that convinces Simba to go back to Pride Rock and take over his land uh, from Scar. So you got to give Mufasa some points. Not even death can stop him from giving great advice, where Anna and Elsa's parents couldn't even give good advice when they were alive. So, uh, but anyway, moving on forward... um, Again, like I mentioned before, I thought that Anna and Elsa's parents were the worst, and I've been trashing on them a lot this podcast because it's very fun to trash on them. Uh, but I, I think I found an even somehow worse Disney parent, and that Disney parent would have to be Cinderella's father. <laughs> and so uh, recently, I didn't really think about this. You know, I didn't really think um, about Cinder- Cinderella's dad as like a bad parent. But then I watched the uh, remake of Cinderella, just kind of like uh, the live action remake with, uh, with uh, what was her name? Emily, Emily something. I can't remember. And I'm not, I'm not going to bother <laughs> by looking it up because that's not the point of this video. It's not for me to name actors or actresses. But anyway, uh, but she is very cute. Uh, Lily James, that's her name. See? That's what I did. I tricked myself, and I and I uh, and I figured it out. So Lily James, very cute actress. Uh, she plays Cinderella, and and I didn't really think that much about Cinderella's dad as like a bad parent before watching this movie. But it it was very clear to me that Cinderella's dad just doesn't really take Cinder like he just takes Cinderella for granted, and. And what makes him, like, even slightly worse is that his kind of big thing that makes me, like, not like him super <laughs> much as of, like, a Disney parent is that it's very clear that he has a major flaw, that he got booty blinded <laughs> by, uh, by, um, by, uh, by the evil stepmother character. Now, when a lady comes up to you and she has an evil cat and then she has daughters that aren't so nice, you gotta start, like, putting the wheels to the puzzle together, right? You guys start you guys start figuring out what's wrong with this picture, right? Because if the kids are acting all bratty, like you got to look at like who's raising them, you know? <laughs> like mm, like and if it's clear that she's going to show favoritism towards them over your own daughter, that's also a really bad sign. And it's like you know, you know what a happy like marriage is and also and you could, you could, you know, you know, you could like use a little bit more foresight, Cinderella's dad. Like you don't have to be so booty blinded, but you know, whatever. <laughs> also, I also thought, was thinking about this and watching the movie, and maybe this is just like the, because of the fact that Lily James is a lot older. But Cinderella seems to be in an age, or you can ask Cinderella what her opinion is on this situation. Like if I was dating somebody now, and I. And uh, I ended up like dating somebody, a girl or or whatever. Like I ended up going to their house and they had a kid like uh, like if they're just a kid and they don't really know and they're like angry at me. Like uh, I, I can imagine like it would be kind of a turnoff for wh- whoever my date is. But eventually we can maybe work something out and it wouldn't be a total uh, total uh, wash. But if it was like a 16 year old who like really didn't like me and then like listed a bunch of reasons like I had an evil cat, I had other stepdaughters that seem to be really re- rude and catty, uh, I would at least take the time to listen to that person. Now, granted, Cinderella doesn't really seem like a, much of a complainer in that way that I would have been. I would have gone down kicking and screaming <laughs> to make sure my father didn't marry this woman. But at the same time, it's like, come on, you should have you should have consulted with your daughter before making this decision. And then same problem with, uh, with Anna and Elsa's uh, uh, mom and uh, mom and dad is that he just kind of f's off and like dies in the movie, uh, not having re- really a redemption arc to learn from his, the errors of his way. And so again, I hate it when I hate it when Disney characters are written like this. I hate it when any characters written like this, where they just kind of 
self make a bunch of selfish decisions and then never pay for the consequences of their actions outside of um, outside of their accidental. I, I mean, I guess you could say Anna and Elsa's parents paid for their actions. But it's not like they learned anything. I mean, it's not like that boat was like talking to them and said like, you know, why I'm doing this. And it's like, well, I can seal, don't feel, and start sinking to the bottom of the ocean. You know, that's not what happened uh, in the story. At least I don't remember it that way. Like, who knows? Uh, maybe it is. But anyway. So moving on to some more better examples of parenting. Uh, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but Encanto. I really love uh, Julieta and Augustine. I hope I'm saying those right because uh, otherwise I'll be super embarrassed. But again, it's not like anybody comments on these. <laughs> but, uh, Julieta and Augustine. I really love. I really love their dynamic uh, in Encanto uh, with Mirabelle, and I really love how supportive and loving they both are. Um, it's a lot of definitely. This is definitely recency bias. Maybe if I went back further in the Disney archive, I could. Uh, I can pick out some other parents. But again, like most of them are dead. Like I can't pick out a. Aladdin's parents because we never meet them uh, according to the song you, you know uh, most of Aladdin's problems are be, are uh, you could blame on his parents but he doesn't have none you know <laughs> so that's kind of the problem uh, but anyway so t- going back to Encanto's uh, Julieta and Augustine uh, they're very supportive they're very and uh, they very they feel very real right Augustine even in the beginning uh, her father uh really points out like kind of the whole issue with uh, Mirabelle. Like Mirabelle's big issue is that she lives in this Encanto with her family. Each of them has supernatural abilities and in a lot of ways she feels neglected and like an outsider within her own family. And the way that her father, uh, even in the very beginning, uh, uh, sympathizes with her in that way, being married into the family, not having any special abilities of her own, tells her, you know, I get it, you know, like living in a family full of extraordinary fe- people, it's very easy to feel feel ordinary feel unextraordinary and the and i really i feel like august uh her father's the real mvp there's a lot there's a lot going on with him where he like uh he's the first uh family member outside of mirabelle to really stand up to abuela now uh, he's the one that kind of hides the vision of <laughs> of mirabelle uh, blowing up the house I, I, I don't know i should probably do a spoiler warning but anyway if you haven't seen Encanto yet, then that that's on you. That's not on I me. Mean. Uh, he hides he hides the pieces of Bruno's vision of Mirabelle blowing up the house from Abuela, and Abuela gets really pissed at him. She's like, "Why would you do that?" And he's like, "Because I was trying to protect my daughter." I just ah, I love it. I love it. I love her protective daddy. You know. <laughs> uh, and Julieta also does a really good job. She's very comforting. Uh, she's the first person that. Uh, talks to Mirabelle after the Encanto starts showing signs of breaking and everyone calls her and Abuela kind of gaslights her and calls her. <laughs> I, I say gaslights because Abuela does and I'm not sure why I'm laughing but it, it Abuela just totally gaslights uh, gaslights Mirabelle and uh, Julieta is the person that comes to Mirabelle's aid and is the person that ends up hearing Mirabelle out even though she's not quite sure if she believes it herself. You also see Julieta being also very defensive of her daughter. Uh, she points out to Abuela multiple times uh, that uh, during Antonio's um, awakening for his powers, she points out that, hey, like, Abuela, can you be a little bit easier on my daughter? This is going to be a very difficult time for her because she, because she's going to remember the time that she didn't get powers and she got completely isolated out of our family, Abuela. So can you please be chill for just one night? And Abuela, Abuela doesn't really listen. And then later on, you see that uh, you see that when Augustine stands up for his daughter, that Julieta also stands up and set, t- tells Abuela to her face that, hey, you know, you're like this is like you've always been too hard on Mirabelle. Like ever since she was a kid, and it's just 
it's not cool. You got to stop doing that. And I really love kind of this defensive nature that they have. And they're not the biggest characters in the world. They don't have like major arcs. Uh, but the fact that they are protective, that they are loving towards their daughter really kind of fleshes out the world and makes it a little bit more palatable. Um, not palatable. That's, that makes it sound like it would, would suck if it, if, uh, if it wasn't, if this wasn't the case. No, it just really fleshes out the family dynamics and makes the story feel more real, uh, as opposed to like some other, uh, uh, parents that we have talked about in the past. But anyway, both of them are just so cute and I love them both. So let's talk a little bit else. Let's jump a little bit, uh, to a sidetrack of, uh, we're talked about Disney parents. Let's talk about Disney princesses in general and kind of my overall thoughts on the Disney princess. Now, as a kid growing up, it was very hard for me to relate to Disney princesses uh, because I was always, um, you know, I always, my favorite Disney movie growing up was definitely Hercules. I just thought it was so funny. And also having like a male lead was kind of important to me as a kid. Like, cause, you know, I can relate that to that more and so Hercules was just, just a, such a cool story it was like a superhero story so I just I, lo- I loved it uh, I also a lot watched a lot of Aladdin so I never really picked up on a lot of the uh, weird idiosyncrasies of like the Disney princess problem that people kind of bring up here and there and I don't know if I'm even really qualified to talk about it but I do think it's kind of interesting so I think I think what the princess problem is uh, from what I understand is that is that there's a lot of criticism saying that, you know, women shouldn't be like so focused on marriage. It shouldn't be such a, um, such a driving force for these women. Uh, specifically, I would think the example in The Little Mermaid where Ariel basically gives up her voice and relies purely on looks to seduce a man and then eventually marry him after like a week of meeting him. And so what I find interesting about the argument as I was watching a video, uh, from Lindsay Ellis, a sense canceled YouTuber. <laughs> Which I feel like I could almost say about any YouTuber that I bring up on the podcast because uh, it seems like it, it's almost inevitable that they'll get canceled. So why not just be like every time I bring up a YouTuber, I could be like Philip DeFranco, a, a sense you canceled YouTuber. I could just say that. But I don't think Phil will get canceled anytime soon. Hopefully not. I don't know. Maybe maybe so, because he does have some videos out there in the past where it was kind of seedy. But we'll see. <laughs> I guess we'll see. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um uh, talking about Ariel, um, I think that I think it's kind of interesting. There's been a lot of discussion about whether or not Ariel Ariel is like the biggest Disney princess problem, or if there's and there's been backlash on when Disney is trying to kind of correct this issue. Uh, most notably, I would say in uh, Frozen, uh, where they introduce Han as a character and. And they introduce him and then they say, oh, yeah, like, let's get married. And they do the whole song and dance number. Uh, Anna agrees to marry Han. And then it turns out that Han's a bad guy, which is uh, and there's been a lot of criticism towards that, which I find very fascinating. Uh, the main bit of criticism I can see just from a storytelling, uh, I can feel like I could talk on it just on a storytelling basis, is that the reason why it works as a twist and why it's surprising is because it doesn't work at all. When you th- when you really break it down, um, I guess it kind of makes sense that Han would want to marry her for power, but then why wouldn't he just continue up with the charade of like, hey, like I'm a good guy, like you can trust me, let's get married for power. Like It's not like in the film, Anna tells Han in that moment, that hey, you know, like <laughs> it didn't. It's not going to work out between us because I'm in love with Kristoff, uh, this other guy I just met. <laughs> you know, there's never a moment like that. And 
Uh, instead, he just kind of casually reveals that he's evil, starts melting a really cute, adorable s- snowman uh, s- sidekick in Olaf, and then just kind of uh, tries to mur- brutally murder somebody when up until that point in the movie, he showed no signs of that. Uh, there's even a scene where, uh, where he like falls into the water and he gives like this little smirk, which like, unless he's like the world's greatest actor, uh, it just it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get it, but that kind of criticism, the fact that Disney is criticizing itself in that way is also kind of interesting and also face kind of backlash because they're like, they're not really fixing the problem. Right. Uh, like uh, Anna ends up getting married to Kristoff after knowing him for a short while or like ending up falling in love with him after knowing him for a short while. And yeah, they wait a couple of months to get married or even get engaged. They wait a movie, I guess. But is that really any different? You know, like that that was kind of the argument that was brought up in Lindsay Ellis's uh, video. And in thinking about it, you know, like what is wrong with trying to get your man? You know, like if if Ariel if Ariel wants to leave her overbearing father and go ahead, go up to the surface, ra- marry a rich prince who's kind of a himbo, then, you know, you do you, girl. <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> and it's not, it's not like, totally, impl- like, she doesn't get married, I don't believe, right away. I have to rewatch the movie, too. Like, that's another problem I'm having right now <laughs> in describing this. But uh, it's, we're, not, we're never really clear how long it takes. And another thing that was pointed out is that, like, uh, Eric, the pr- name of the prince, uh, didn't, didn't necessarily fall in love with Ariel because of her looks. He fell in love with her because of the beauty of her voice. So when that's taken away, she kind of has to use her looks and her personality to eventually make Eric fall in love with her. And she does end up staying with him for a couple days, like a week. So it's not like they got married like right away. (laughs) That is like uh, horribly as implied as it was in Frozen. Um, But I think the real problem or uh, I don't even know necessarily I call it a problem. I just think it's a deep flaw with uh, the Disney formula, right? With that kind of storytelling. I think it is something that Disney is trying to actively correct. Um, say like Encanto, I feel talking about that again, like, you know, I knew, we don't talk about Bruno, but we talk about Encanto a lot is that what I liked so much about that story, it was, wasn't a Disney princess story, but it focused on Mirabelle and it focused more so on her journey and her growth as a character. And you look at another movie that Disney released, since I don't want to just talk about Encanto, uh, you look at a, a movie like Moana, where the, the movie focuses on Moana. Moana is technically speaking a Disney princess. You know, she gets all the, she gets everything right. As Maui points out in the film, she has the cute animal sidekick, the call to adventure, like the uh, the big the big soaring song, you know. But what again? The movie doesn't really focus on her journey of finding love; it just focuses on her journey of growth. And if she had found love during that journey, it doesn't make that journey any less impactful to her, you know. <laughs> like she, it still would have been good, but it doesn't take away from anything. But I think that it was a smarter and more nuanced approach that Disney took with Moana and with Encanto, and I really appreciate seeing that in Disney films. Now, ultimately, I mean, we're complaining about this, but Disney is also just kind of an evil multi-million dollar corporation anyway, and complaining about their films and talking about it, I don't think is going to really change anything um, outside of occasionally hurting their box office from making a billion dollars to only half a billion dollars. (laughs) So at least that's what it seems to uh, be to me. And eventually it seems that in today's culture, no matter what you make, if it's really good or uh, it's perceived as good, eventually down the line, it's going to be hated eventually. I don't know. Like that's kind of my own personal opinion. And it's kind of opinion I, I, I hate that I have, but, <laughs> but I'm trying to add more positivity to it. Um, 
Anyway, that's it. That's it. That's all my rants about Disney, uh, talking about Disney princesses, talking about like Disney parents. Um, I would love to go more in depth with certain Disney films, uh, maybe in the future. We'll see. Because uh, there's definitely, I mean, there's so much you can talk about, right? And growing up, I remember when I was a kid, as a grandma, my, uh, my gr- <laughs> as a kid grandma, no, as a kid, uh, I would go to my grandma's house and I would watch these old VHS tapes at Disney and I would always put them in, like that would be like the thing to do. Like you go up to grandma's for the weekend, you stay up till 12 o'clock watching Disney films. Sometimes you watch one, like The Lion King. Sometimes you watch two, like The Lion King and Hercules in my case. And I do have a lot of opinions about Disney and I do think some of them are valid. Some of them are not. I'm kind of an idiot. I don't know if you've noticed. We're in episode 14 of the podcast podcast now so if you haven't noticed that i'm kind of an idiot and that's on you but anyway that would be uh my uh my rants um if you want to help support the podcast uh you can help you can help out by following us on uh twitter at david shire you can also help us by following us on uh or by supporting the podcast through patreon uh going to the website howitsgoingsofar.com and clicking on that patreon link and then donating a little bit to the podcast i do want to do this full time and i do feel like like I could do this full time uh, and I want to start thinking about different episode ideas, writing better scripts, taking more time to edit the podcast because I don't know. I don't know if you've noticed, but my edits are kind of rough because uh, I basically just kind of bat pre batch these and then just send them out. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, again, my name is David Shire and that's how it's going so far.